This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Six Figure Dog Business on PetLifeRadio.com. I'm your host, Ty Brown of TyTheDogTrainerCoach.com. And this is the show where we help you start or grow your pet-related, dog-related business to a healthy six-figure per year or more income. Now, today I am going to be talking about questions. This is a big one for sales. This is going to be a sales training episode where... I'm actually going to share with you exactly how I train a lot of my salespeople in my company, and you're going to come along and learn what we do as far as questions go. So stay with us. We're going to be talking about sales training today. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life, and that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for Dogs and Cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select Petco locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. All right. Welcome to the show today. I'm excited to have you here. One of the things that I have really enjoyed doing as my company has grown is I've really enjoyed taking on the role of like sales trainer training our salespeople. We've got a number of people who do sales at at our company, at our dog training company. And learning to do sales is something that has taken me a long time. And then now as I've been learning to coach sales, it's it's a whole other skill set. I don't know how many sales appointments I've done over the years. I've once estimated about 10,000 sales appointments or somewhere close to that. And so I do have a lot of experience with sales. You know, we do several million dollars a year at my company. We've done Oh, I think we're getting close to $10 million total over the expanse of my company. So we've sold millions and millions of dollars worth of dog training stuff, um, dog training services, dog training stuff, I guess you could say. And so I feel like I'm really seasoned in the, in the area of sales. But like I say, when it comes to sales coaching and teaching other people how to sell, it's been a whole new ballgame for me over these past couple of years as I've really stepped into that role. And one of the things that has really made the biggest difference out of all sales training is working on how to actually ask questions. And so that's what I want to talk about today, because a big problem that professionals in the dog industry, and we're talking dog trainers, pet sitters, dog walkers, dog groomers, a big challenge that professionals have in the industry is is helping people see the value. Now, there are some clients, and you guys know this because you see this in your own business, but there are some clients that they come to you 
already understanding the depths of their problems. They already come to you. They've developed their own pain. They come to you really understanding their deficiencies. But that's kind of the, that's the minority. The majority of people come to you because they have pain and they know it. But it's not developed. They don't, they're not clear why. They're not clear the ramifications of this pain. They haven't developed that part of it. And so as a result, because they haven't developed that pain, it's not always clear to them why they should be giving you big dollars to solve that pain when they haven't even developed the pain. Does that make sense? So professionals in our industry struggle sometimes to help people see value because the people that we're talking with don't know how to evaluate their problems. I often relate this to take anything that you don't know about, like a bigger thing, right? For me, it's like cars. <laughs> I don't I don't know much about cars. When I was a teenager, I worked on cars a little bit. Like I had a friend that was really into cars and I had a couple junkers myself and he would help me like fix things up here and there a little bit, but I, I didn't like it. I hated it. And I was bad at it. My mind doesn't work in an engineering way like his did. Like he could look at the engine and see, okay, we got to do this, this, and this. And my mind was like, what? And so like we would work on it and I would learn stuff from him. But ultimately it wasn't a passion of mine. My mind doesn't work that way in an engineering way. And so I don't know very much about cars. And bear in mind, I'm at the time of this recording, I'm 40 years old. So we're talking 24 years ago when I was 16, 23 years ago when I was 17. That's when I was working on cars. And back then the junkers I had were 15, 20 years old. So the cars of today are completely different. So when I have issues with my vehicles, I'm completely lost. I have no idea what's going on outside of maybe like some general idea like, huh, my car's struggling to kick over. Maybe the battery's dying or, you know, I might understand little things like that. But overall, I don't understand a whole lot of it. So when something goes wrong, I don't know how to think about it. I don't know generally, is this going to be like, oh, it's just going to be a little battery or are they going to have to like also replace my alternator? That's another thing I do remember a little bit about <laughs> is your alternator charges your battery. Is there going to be an alternator problem? Is there going to be a whatever, right? So like, I don't know how to think about my problem. So when I take my vehicle into the auto shop, I'm not clueless, but I'm next to clueless. I'm clueless adjacent um, when it comes to issues with my, with my car. Now, ultimately, if the mechanic comes back and says, hey, the cost is X and X is this huge price, I'm now faced with a decision on, oh, well, shoot, like, do I just junk the car? Do I fix this? But for the most part, when the mechanic comes back and says, hey, this is going to be $500 or, or $2,000 or whatever, I'm going to ask some questions probably, but I'm probably just going to pay it because you know, what am I going to do? Tow it to another place, get a second opinion, you know, to save 200 bucks or whatever. Ultimately, I'm probably just going to ask some questions, see if everything that they're suggesting is 100% necessary, and then probably just pay it. But when people are looking to you as a service provider, their options are different. Like, it's not 100% necessary. Even, even you dog trainers, where your dog is, you know, the dog is like super aggressive. It's necessary for me to get my car fixed or buy a new one because I have to get to work and I have to, you know, like I don't have other options. Like this vehicle has to work. Whereas somebody coming in with an aggressive dog, they don't have to do it. They don't have to get training. I mean, it would make their life a lot easier and their, their life a lot happier if they got training. Or, you know, the dog walker who's trying to hire a dog walker because his dog is at home, you know, digging in the yard. He doesn't have to hire a dog walker. So his options aren't 
like do this or else, like it is when I'm going to the auto shop, his options are do this or not, or do this or find someone cheaper, or do this or do it myself, or, or whatever the case might be. And the same goes down the line with groomers, with pet shops, with, with veterinary offices. Now, veterinary offices, there are some exceptions, obviously, with uh, with life or death type situations. But for most of us dog professionals, people have options, and it's not like a necessity to do these things. And so the way they're going to view their problem versus the amount of money you're trying to charge them is going to be through that lens to where I don't have to do this. My life will get better if I do this, potentially, but I don't have to do it. And so, so like I say, when they're coming and they're viewing their problems through that lens, it really is on us to help them understand the scope of their problem. And so in order for somebody to buy, someone needs to feel that their problem is bigger than the price. So what is the price that you're charging? Your dog trainer charging $3,000 for training. Somebody's problem has to feel larger than $3,000. If their problem feels in their mind like, hey, this is a $500 problem, and you're saying, no, it's $3,000, there's incongruency there, and they're not going to buy. If somebody sees that uh, you know, you're know you charging $70 a night for boarding, and their problem in their mind is a $20 a night problem, they're probably not going to buy. If you know, you're charging $25 for a walk to walk their dog and their problem feels like 10 bucks in their mind, they're probably not going to buy. And so it needs to be the reverse. They need to see their problem as bigger than the price that you're offering. In fact, in many cases, even if you're selling a high ticket thing, you ideally want them to say, oh, okay, that's not as much as I thought it was going to be. We, you know, we want them to feel like they are, no, it's not that we want them to feel, sorry, let me repeat that. It's that's how people buy. We don't exchange $10 for something that we think is worth $1. You know, it's not that, oh, I think this is worth a buck. Sure, I'll give you 10. We don't do that. That's not how we operate as humans. Unless we're, like I say, in some sort of situation where it's like somebody has the huge upper hand, you know, going back to the car example, like you're abandoned in some, you know, remote desert town and somebody wants to charge you $500 for a battery that you know is a $100 battery, you're probably going to pay it because the circumstance is such that you just have no choice. But when we're talking about our situation here, where we're trying to sell solutions to dog owners, they have to feel that their problem is larger than the price that you're charging. Otherwise, they're just not going to buy it. Um, that's, that's how it works. So the question is, how can we help them feel that their problem is larger than the price that we're that we're charging. And there's a lot of answers to this. But again, the one that I want to talk about today is questions, specifically what are called fit questions. Now, I need to pause here and give credit to my dad. My dad is a sales trainer and has been for most of my life. He's been training sales. I kind of joke about this sometimes that, you know, when other kids were playing ball with their dad, I was going to sales presentations where he was training companies on, you know, and their salespeople on how to sell. I remember that. I remember like running a video, a camcorder uh, when I was probably 12 or 13 on a Saturday morning while he was running a sales meeting. You know, I was reading sales books and sales training stuff when I was a kid. That's one of the ways I bonded with my dad. You know, we, he coached my basketball team. We would go fishing and stuff like that. So we did typical father-son stuff. But I really like the stuff I remember bonding with most with my dad was like business stuff growing up. It really interested me. And that's what, uh, that's what he did. He's done sales training. So my dad is the one that came up with this, what he calls, um, fit questions. And so fit is an acronym and it's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to teach concepts that he's taught me that have helped me grow my business to a multi-million dollar business and helped other 
trainers and other dog professionals grow their businesses by selling using questions. So let me get into it. Fit questions. So what does fit mean? Let me give you that definition first. So fit stands for fact, issue, trouble. Let me repeat. Fact, issue, trouble. Now, when you're doing questions, you know, and and what I'm talking about here can apply to just about anyone in the dog industry. If someone shows up to get their dog groomed, you know, you're probably not sitting down for a half hour, you know, a half hour consultation, but these fit questions will help you. If somebody's calling up for dog walking, it's maybe not a 45 minute in-person evaluation, but these fit questions will help you. For dog training, this is especially helpful. Like I said, this is going to be good for anyone in the industry, in the dog industry period. But for dog training, this is a big one because a lot of us in dog training are selling high ticket programs that are very involved. You know, it's not just like, you know, grooming, drop off your dog, pick up your dog or, you know, dog walking. You're not even home. They come up and and get your dog. It, it, you know, the owners are much more involved. And so, so in any case, when you're using, when you're employing these fit questions, they don't have to go in any particular order. They will often go in this order where you're asking fat questions first, then issue questions, then trouble questions. They'll often go in that order and they'll often go where maybe you're doing some facts, some issues, some trouble, and then you go back and you get a little bit more issue and then you do a little bit more trouble and then you go back and maybe get some more fact questions. And so you might be kind of going in and out. What I'm getting at though, is it, you know, the acronym is such that they often do go in this order, fact, issue, trouble, but they don't have to. And oftentimes you're going to go back and forth a little bit, but understanding and internalizing these questions, how to employ them, how to use them is a big part of taking your sales to a next level, no matter what industry you're in. So in fact, on that note, let me, let me just pause for a quick second. We're going to have a message from a sponsor here, but when I come back, I'm going to, you know, the rest of the show is going to be talking about these fit questions. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, we're back and we're talking about the role that questions have in the sales process, no matter what we're trying to sell folks and helping them understand the value specifically. That's what these fit questions are about, is helping people understand the value of what you bring to the marketplace. Because remember, what you're selling is not a typical thing in most cases. Some of you might listening to this might have a pet store. And so what you're selling might be a commodity in the sense like, hey, it's a... It's dog food, it's leashes and stuff like that. It's normal type purchases.
purposes. But for most of us in, in the dog industry, we're selling things that people are not accustomed to buy. People don't buy dog training all the time. You know, like somebody might have dogs their whole life and might only hire a trainer once or twice or zero. You know, it's, it's not a normal purchase. Almost everybody buys furniture. Almost everybody here in the United States, for example, buys a vehicle. Almost everybody, I mean, there's things that people buy all, all the time, clothes, food, all sorts of stuff. But dog training, pet sitting, dog walking, those are things that people don't buy nearly as often. And if they are purchasers of those things, most of the time, you know, it's not like a daily purchase. It's something that they have to be trained on how to understand how to buy. So like I say, these fit questions really help them see the value of what you offer. So let's get into it. So the F stands for fact, and fact-based questions are kind of the easy ones. This is at the beginning of any conversation. Someone's showing up at your grooming shop. You're talking with a dog owner about dog training, whatever it is. We need the facts. What's the age? What's the breed? Where's the dog come from? And, you know, depending on the, the industry you're in, you might need a few more facts. Like, you know, if you're a dog walker, you might need to know, like, hey, what their work schedule is. If you're a dog trainer, hey, who lives in the home? Is there kids as their spouse? You know, are you working from home? Are you at the office all the day? Anyways, we need some of the facts. The facts obviously kind of set the platform that we're going to use. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the F, the facts, because this is the easiest part. But I do want to kind of caution two errors that I see. One is sometimes professionals don't ask enough F questions. They don't ask enough fact questions. This is often when the, you know, when the professional is a little bit anxious to talk about themselves, they're not getting the full story because they want to jump in and say, hey, here's what I do as a dog trainer. Here's what I do as a dog walker. And so be careful to not overlook fact questions because oftentimes once you're in the middle of a presentation where you're trying to help people see the value of what you do, if you haven't done enough of the fact questions, you're going to find yourself without the information you need to say the things that you need to say. So number one, don't make that mistake of not doing enough fact questions. And then number two, don't make the mistake of this is all you do, because I've seen this happen a bunch. And what I mean by that is like, you're the dog professional and all you do is ask fact questions. Okay. What's the issue? What's the dog? What, you know, what's the breed? What's the age? What's it? Okay. Here's what we do. And you jump right into the pitch without getting any issue questions, without doing any trouble questions. All you do is get the basic facts and then you pitch. When you're doing this, what you're doing is you're assuming that the person understands the significance of their problems, that the person understands the significance of your solution, and you just start going into it. It's a big mistake. So big thing to remember is never assume someone understands the ramifications of the facts. So when they're giving you facts and in your mind, you're like, oh, well, yeah, like no wonder you need dog walking because you guys are off at the office all day. That doesn't mean you could just jump right into the pitch. You've got to ask some issue questions, ask some trouble questions. I'm going to get into that here in a second. You know, same thing, you know, when someone says, uh, hey, I'm looking for a dog trainer. My dog is this, 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 and this, and this. Okay, well, let me tell you about my program. It doesn't work that way. Just understanding the facts is not enough for somebody to see the value in what you do. So number two are issue questions. Now, issue questions are basically, what is the problem? We need to start putting labels on the problems that they have. 
my dog is chewing stuff up. My dog is chewing stuff up might be a, a label of a problem that's, you know, important for a dog walker to understand, a dog trainer to understand, a dog groomer might need to understand like how hard it is for them to brush their dog or cut their own dog's nails or whatever. But we need to understand what's actually happening. And so this is where we start digging. You know, so we start out any sort of um, consultation, you know, getting the facts. And then now it's time to start to dig. We want to know the problems. We want to know what's actually going on. We want to know why they're talking to us. In fact, that's often how I'll frame it. And I find that when I start sales consultations in this way, that it often helps a lot. And what I mean by that is I'll say something like, you know, maybe I'm sitting down with a dog owner. I'll say, okay, you know, I'll get some facts. Your dog is this, this, and this. Okay, you live over here, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll say something to the effect of like, okay, let me just ask you this question right off the bat. You drove here 30 minutes. It sounds like you're busy. You've got a lot going on in your life. What is that big thing that put you in the car that got you to drive 30 minutes here to talk to me about dog training? What's that big thing? And I often like to frame it in that way so that people really start to understand. It's a bit of a pattern interrupt. And right from the get-go, they start to say, okay, what is that big thing? And I want them thinking in terms of problems because that's what our job is, is to solve problems. We don't train dogs for fun. We do it to solve problems. We don't groom dogs for fun. We do it to solve problems. We don't walk dogs. We don't pet sit for fun. We do it to solve problems. And so I need to get them into a problem mindset. So like I say, definitely, you know, I'll, I'll start framing it that way. You know, what got you to do this? And then, you know, other questions are just going to surround like, okay, you're going to get fact-based questions surrounding the issues. Oh, my dog is aggressive. Okay. Well, when is he aggressive? To whom is he aggressive? Where is he aggressive? This is the who, what, when, where, why, and how type questions. These are the issue questions that I know the facts of who the dog is. Now I want to know what the dog's problems are. And so those are questions that I'm going to be asking is very problem-based type questions. And I want to get a list of what those things are. Now, again, I'm giving kind of a few examples here based on the industry that people are in. You know, so for example, oh, the groomer, you know, the issue type questions are going to surround like, okay, is there an odor coming out of the dog? Is that one of the reasons why you're here? Or do you ever bathe the dog yourself? Or do you find that, you know, or, you know, things like that to figure out why are they actually coming to you versus doing it on their own? The dog walker, the same thing. The dog trainer, the same thing. Why are you actually here? So ask these issue type questions. Now, finally, what we need to get into is the trouble type questions. People who internalize this concept, this is the difference between a good salesperson and a great salesperson. And let me qualify that here there for a second, because I know that sometimes as I say that it's grading towards people in our industry, because they're in this industry because they love the dogs and they love hopefully the people and they don't view themselves as salespeople, but you are your salespeople, just get used to it and get used to what that actually means. Because if you successfully sell somebody, what that means is now you're in a position to improve their life. Now you're in a position to make their life better, make their dog's life better, and to serve them. And so this isn't just some uh, rah-rah, we're serving people by selling to them. It's just the stark reality. Whether you like it or not, you know, whether you want it to be this way or not, you can't serve people until you sell them. That's just the reality. So sales is not a bad word. Smarmy sales, manipulative, you know, to your benefit type sales, those types of sales are, you know, what you want to avoid. The type of thing where you're just trying to slam somebody into a deal so that you can make money. Because the reality is you will make far more money in learning how to serve people ethically through selling them ethically by figuring out what their real problems are and matching your solution to those problems than you ever will by trying to just slam people into deals. So let me just get that out of the way right now to help you understand that you are a salesperson. 
And your ability to be a good or great salesperson often comes down to these trouble questions. Because a lot of folks do a good job of getting the facts. A lot of folks do a good job of getting the issues. But they stop short of finding out the actual trouble because they assume that the prospect that they're speaking with understands at a deep level what what the answers to those questions mean. So when is your dog being aggressive? Oh, he's being aggressive on walks. When is your, and I'm going to go from a dog training perspective here, but if you're a dog groomer, pet sitter, dog walker, you know, apply it how you can apply it. But from a dog training perspective, you know, the issue questions might be, oh, okay, so what's going on? Oh, he's, he's barking. Does, when does he do it? Whenever we're on walks, he's barking at other dogs and people. Is it all dogs? No, it's just uh, dogs that are bigger than him. Okay. When did this start? You know, when he was a year old. Okay. You know, and so these are issue questions. And oftentimes once trainers get to the end of this or dog professionals get to the end of that, they jump right into the pitch and they assume that because someone just told them that their dog is barking and lunging, that they understand that they've got a big problem on their hands. And they often do not. Again, coming from a dog training perspective, but in any industry, you can understand kind of the humor here. How many times have you spoken with somebody who will tell you the absolute like worst issues? They'll say things like, yeah, you know, my dog, he's attacked four dogs. He actually bit the neighbor kid in the face. He's, uh, he jumps all over the place. He's destroying my house. And then they'll say, I think he needs some basic obedience, you know, or something along those lines, right? You know, they'll, they'll say things that are completely out of alignment. They'll say, my dog is doing like these things that you know are awful. And they'll say, oh, but he's just a sweetie. I think I need someone like basics. Someone to give me the basics. And so they can understand the issues. They know that these things are happening, but have no concept of what the actual trouble is that they're in. And so now, again, I said this at the very beginning of this, uh, of this podcast, that there's some people that come to you and they've done the work. They're either just naturally more smart or they've done more research or they're more intuitive, or whatever. And they understand the ramifications of what's going on. But a good portion of the people that you're talking with can sit there and tell you, you know, it's this, this, and this, and tell you some awful things and still think that they just need some basic stuff. And so your ability to help people see the stark reality of the situation they find themselves in, the actual trouble, is powerful. This becomes more important the higher the ticket. You know, so if I'm selling dog training, you know, for $3,000, they need to understand that it's going to be a lot of work and effort to solve this. If I'm selling a groom for a hundred bucks versus my competitor who sells it for 70 bucks, they need to understand the trouble they could be in by not using my service and going to the competitor or doing something else. And I'm obviously never bash competitors, but, and this is where trouble questions become so important. So what are trouble questions and how do you do them? I often like to compare them. You know, I don't know how many of you watch like legal TV shows, right? All of us have seen plenty of them, right? Where <laughs> to the point where it's almost kind of this, this meme, this trope where like objection, your honor, leading the witness. I don't know anything about legality or the law or being a lawyer, but I do know I've seen a million TV shows where a lawyer is like asking a very leading question and the other lawyer is like objection, leading the witness. So I don't know what that actually means. But in the case of sales, we want leading the witness type questions because our prospects don't know where they are. So we need to lead them to where we want them to go. If the questions you're asking are the types of questions that would get you an objection in court, they might be going the right direction. So let me give you some examples. If you're a trainer, you know, a question you're talking with somebody, the issue you found out is that the dog is super reactive on the leash and lunges at other dogs. You know, and we found out some more stuff, more issues along that. 
we might say something like, so it sounds like you can't even walk your dog during the day because you're afraid of what your dog will do. Does that sound right? You know, something like that. Or maybe, you know, you're talking with a wife or a husband or whatever, and they're explaining, you know, how frustrated their spouse is. Oh, so it sounds like your husband's really upset. Like, does he ever talk about getting rid of the dog? Or questions like, are you worried about him biting a kid? You know, things like that. Now, be careful here. I'm not trying to say fear monger because fear mongering is one thing. And I see trainers do this. In fact, I've, I've spoken with a lot of prospects over the years to where, you know, their dog is, is rowdy. And another trainer tried to use fear mongering tactics to like, oh, I think your dog's going to bite a child. And like the dog had no aggression. It was just like a rowdy dog. Like I've seen that a lot. So fear mongering is not the answer here. The answer here is finding out what's actually going on, the actual risks that they have and using leading questions. So if they're talking about like, my dog snapped at a kid, me asking, oh, are you worried that he might like bite a neighbor kid one of these days is a totally valid non-fear-mongering question. If you're talking with somebody who's like, you know, it's a sweet dog and he's, but he's jumping on people and, and you can tell it's like a, a novice dog owner that doesn't know what they're doing. And you're like, oh, do you worry about him biting a kid? Like that's totally out of line. Like there was nothing in the context that was like, and that's just fear mongering. That's just trying to scare somebody into buying your training. And so different situations there, we're going to ask leading questions based off of the actual information they're giving us and based off of our understanding of what those, the answers to those questions mean. So I might understand, you know, like if the dog snapped at a kid, I might understand that that dog's a risk to bite a kid and they might not understand that, believe it or not. You might say, well, how would they not? Because this is not what people do for a living. Their understanding of their dog is my understanding of my alternator, which is to say almost nothing. Alternator being a part in your vehicle in case some people have no idea what the alternator is. And so don't overestimate their understanding. And again, sometimes that means you'll say basic things to people because maybe they did understand, but you're better off assuming they don't understand as much as you think they do and using these leading questions to help them see the natural conclusions of what might happen should they not move forward on using your service. So, you know, a dog walker might say something like, you know, my, on their intake, when they're talking with the person for the first time, you know, and they're trying to figure out like, okay, what's this dog like? And they learn that the dog is digging the yard might say something like, do you think the digging has anything to do with the pent up energy? Is that one of the reasons you're looking for a dog walker? And that might give you something to talk about and help you, you know, give you some ability to say, oh yeah, I had this other client, you know, just like your dog and, and the digging is stopped. I can't promise you the same thing's going to happen with your dog, but oftentimes just getting the walks that I do that are much more focused and much more strenuous, like do a really good job of stopping things like digging or someone's sitting there like telling you how guilty they are. Oh, I'm working all day. My dog is this, that, and the other. He's so pent up. And well, a leading question might just fall right into that. Sounds like you're feeling guilty about not getting exercise for him. Is that right? Basically just regurgitate the same thing back to them just so that they can like come to a real understanding of it. Here's the reality. I want to finish up because people buy based on emotion. The emotional pain of not solving a problem and the emotional anticipation of elation of solving that problem. So if you miss that part, that emotional component, because you do not ask these trouble questions. So if you miss that part, you're missing a huge opportunity to serve people. 
Because otherwise, the decisions you're asking them to make about purchasing your products and services are going to be decisions made not from a completely informed, a completely understanding frame of mind. Because you just simply got the facts, got the issues, but you didn't help them understand the actual ramifications, the trouble that these facts and issues create should they not become solved, not get solved because of your solution. Now, one last thought before I do finish up. This is also the part where ethical selling says, as you're doing this, if your solution does not solve <laughs> these issues, if your service is not a solution, this is where you are, because I see this a lot. I see this a lot in dog training message boards. How do I tell somebody no? It's through this process that you tell somebody no. Oh, it sounds like we're not a match. It sounds like what we do isn't a match because of this, this, or this. And so this, the ethical selling is helping them realize the state of where they actually are, not where they think they are, and helping them understand if your product is or service is the right solution, just how your product or service is the unique solution that they need. So hopefully that makes sense. Think about this. Like I say, I train my salespeople on this. These fit questions are very powerful and help them close more deals of people who need our help. And so fact, issue, trouble, internalize them, use them, and you'll make more sales. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you head over to PetLifeRadio.com so you can listen to all of my episodes over at Six Figure Dog Business. While you're there, listen to all the other shows. There's tons of really awesome shows on PetLifeRadio.com. And then when you're done, head over to TieTheDogTrainerCoach.com and check out what we're doing. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.